Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. Um, today, we have uh, Felicia Speed with us. She's a vice president of social work services for Fresenius Medical Care. And we're going to be talking about a topic of uh, what people can do who are on dialysis to, you know, prepare for a kidney transplant. And and we're really going to talk about record testing and, and what the dialysis facility can help you with and what you need to do. So uh, welcome to the show, Felicia. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm, this is this is a topic I'm very passionate about. So, and I love you know having an opportunity to share information with patients as much as I can. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about what the social worker can do to help patients who want a kidney transplant, and what can they help with the process? I really just believe that the role of the social worker is to do several things to support. Um, to support you. Um, I believe that we are there to help educate, to be able to um, give access to resources, to have a better understanding, especially related to the transplant criteria for each transplant center, which may be very different. Also, a part of our role is to really advocate and ensure that um, you all are making a informed decision. You know, and we want to make it a shared decision-making process. So we believe through education and and preparing you for what is to come, um, to know what the evaluation process is going to look like. The more we do that, the better. And then also just going through that evaluation process, it can be quite discouraging at times and even overwhelming. So we're there to provide that that supportive counseling as you're establishing short-term goals with the hopes of that long-term goal of actually getting a kidney transplant. Well, you know, I... I think that's so wonderful because it is a little bit overwhelming and I'm kind of a pro at going to transplant clinic because, you know, this is my fourth one and I've been doing this for, for decades now, but it, it is, you know, you have a list of doctors and all the different, it can, it can seem so overwhelming. And I think one of the other things that's really important is, um, we we encounter a lot of people who are just afraid to get the message out to their family members. Like, oh, I don't want to ask my family members to donate or friends donate a kidney. And, and I said, well, you know, you're kind of preventing them from having an opportunity of helping you. They might get upset if they find out you never inform them. So just helping them understand the process that uh, it's good to, um, you know, let people know of your needs. Absolutely. I think, you know, we give our families and our friends and our support system, it's a disservice to them to not let them know how they can help. People are always asking us, you know, when we're in certain situations, you know, let me know if you need anything, you know, and we, we're, we're so hesitant to want to burden someone else. But really, you're allowing yourself to be blessed and then allowing that person to be a blessing. And, you know, if they're willing and open to at least understanding, you know, the worst that can happen is that they say no. But what if they actually say yes? And you would just hate to miss out on that opportunity. And so I think social workers are great at even 
practicing role playing that conversation. You know, sometimes you can just practice, you know, having those difficult conversations and the more comfortable you become with it, the better you become at it as well. Well, and RSN created a program last year called Share Your Spare, and it's two little stuffed kidneys, and it's in a box, and it's got all kinds of educational information, and it's been really wonderful because we've heard feedback that this has started a discussion with their family because the box is sitting there, and it's like it educates that you can you can donate a kidney, and it, it makes the topic less heavy. Uh, but it is it's a tough it's tough to ask somebody to donate a kidney, and um, I, I like to express one time. Somebody asked me, do I need anything when I'm sick, you know? And and usually I say, oh, I'm fine, right? But on one particular occasion, I said, you know, I would love some matzo ball soup. And, and my friend brought me over. I mean, she's like an expert uh, cook and made this matzo ball soup. It was the best soup I've ever had. And I just remember that. It's like she uh, was able to help me, so it made her feel good. And I had some delicious soup. So... Um, exactly. Just say yes. <laughs> say yes. People want to feel needed and valued, and and it's a great way. Yes, it's. Um, I'm totally in agreement with that. Um, so, what are some of the tests that um, you know the medical appointments that people have to have if they're uh, wanting to get a transplant? Um, oftentimes, there there X-rays, there stress tests. Um, for women, sometimes we may need to get a pap smear or, you know, they just want to be able to check your heart, to be able to check check your other organs just to see how well you're doing. There's a, a lot of lab work that can be done. And what we're really wanting to do is look for opportunities to get those things done beforehand, before you even go so that, you know, the package is there and it's ready to go. And the more we can prepare you for what to expect and the different tests that may be needed, the better. I know sometimes, you know, like you said, the, the criteria can can seem daunting, but I think the best way to look at it is you're just taking one step at a time, one test at a time, one lab at a time, one procedure at a time. And, you know, sometimes you may have to get a colonoscopy. We all know how that can be. And sometimes <laughs> even an endoscopy. But just, you know, just know that as you're getting each of those done, you're one step closer to the wait list. And it's, uh, I remember when I had my fourth transplant, um, I came up and it happened overnight. It was an acoustic neuroma it, it I was end up diagnosed with. That's a little tumor on my right inner ear and it cut my hearing out. And I was on the transplant list, but they're like, wait. You gotta, you gotta go get that taken care of, and it was such an ordeal, and I was so frustrated because I was already there on the transplant list. I'm like, oh great, another test, but luckily it worked out, and they cleared me. And um, luckily, these tumors very rarely become cancerous because one of the tests that the transplant centers are looking for, um, especially, is any way that you can develop an infection. That's with like dental care, and then with women, for me, um, I've had some gynecological cancers, and those had to be um, looked at and taken care of, and uh, so that if you get a transplant, it's not going to make you sick, and and that's what I try to explain to um, people who um, wonder why I have to have all these tests. Yes, you know, and you want to just, you know, make sure that your body's at a place that, you know, you're optimal candidate for it. And oftentimes, if you, 
you know, just allow yourself to go through those things. It may expose some things that just need to be corrected. And even if they find something, it doesn't necessarily automatically take you out of the game, as I would say. <laughs> you know, it's just here are a couple of things that need to be addressed. Let's address them and let's keep moving forward. So even though, and when those barriers happen, you know, talk to your social worker. Talk to them how it made, about how it made you feel and talk about your frustrations. They're real <laughs> because we're human. But it doesn't mean that we can't still move forward. Exactly. Don't talk to the committee in your head. Um, because, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the committee in my head, I swear, when I, I was diagnosed with that acoustic neuroma tumor on the inner ear, does that sound like the scariest thing on the planet? And it was, I was like, you know, ready to like, call it a day. I was so frustrated, but, you know, went through all the appointments. Um, you know, it all worked out, but um, that committee sure went rampant for a while, I have to tell you. And and I think I aged a little bit those couple of days that I didn't learn how to quiet that committee. Um, because it, yeah. it can be, it, you know, our, our own thoughts can sometimes be our worst enemy. One of the, the solutions that I've learned, and I don't always apply it, but uh, when I have some serious health issues or tests and start to worry about them, I say, I'm going to wait to worry about that until tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about that today. I'm going to worry about it tomorrow. And then the next day I say the same thing. So it's one of the little strategies I've used over the years. Well, uh, can you tell us about, you know, one of the most important things uh, for getting a transplant is making sure they have current blood work on you. So tell us what the dialysis unit does and what the patient responsibility is. So the wonderful thing about, you know, collaborating with your dialysis center is that they can, you don't have to go and, and get cannulated again or get stuck again to get blood work drawn. While you're at the dialysis clinic, during your treatment, the blood work that is necessary for the transplant center, that dialysis clinic and transplant center can collaborate to ensure that we can collect the blood work and be able to send it to the transplant center, you know, on a monthly basis as requested, you know, whatever frequency they requested. And so it's a great way to ensure that they have the most recent information. And the best thing you can do is if they're sending you a letter saying, hey, we haven't received your blood work, communicate with your dialysis center. Make sure you stay on top of it. If, if they're collecting it, you, you want to make sure, check in with the transplant center. Did you receive my blood work? You know, take the take take the responsibility for yourself and be empowered um, to be able to ensure that the process is occurring and that um, everyone is getting the information that they need in a timely manner. Well, and if you're on home dialysis, um, you go in once a month for blood work, right? And so yes. you would basically just say, "Remember to draw my transplant labs." <laughs> Right? That's that what is it. Just say, hey, don't forget about this. Yes. <laughs> I need to pee all I can pee someday. You know, um, it's really important. You know, one of the things with um, people don't, I think, often understand is once that you have an appointment with a transplant center, you've seen them, you are a patient of theirs. Uh, they have the pre, uh, pre-transplant pre coordinator and the post-transplant coordinator. And 
you can call them at any time and ask them any questions. It's not a burden. Um, it's you advocating for your care. So uh, I think oftentimes because they don't see the transplant unit regularly like other doctors, that they feel sometimes they can't call and check in. And I'm like, you've been assigned a coordinator, so take advantage of it. Absolutely. And, you know, we've had situations where um, sometimes patients couldn't even reach the transplant center. And when that happens, let your social worker know. Let someone at the facility know so that we can reach out and advocate on your behalf and make that connection. We actually had a, a recent situation where we had a patient who had, you know, was trying to reach the transplant center, not able to reach the coordinator because there had been some changes at the transplant center. And, you know, they noticed that they weren't on the list and they didn't understand why and they were trying to get it resolved. And it was just some missing labs that they we, that had been sent by the clinic, but it wasn't received by the transplant center. We were able to get that resolved within a couple of weeks. And guess what? That was like in February, in March, that patient received the transplant. Oh, and so, wonderful. you know, it's just, it's just taking that next step and don't just accept, you know, oh, they don't want to communicate with me. Oh, I don't want to bother them. You don't feel that way. This is your lifeline, right? And so take ownership of it and be empowered to be able to let those know that, hey, I need help. I need help reaching out to these people. That is why we are here. It's so true. Um, what do people do if if they don't live close to a transplant center? Um, I'm lucky. I live in Los Angeles, and, you know, there's five within 15 minutes of my house, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, but what do you see that other patients do when they don't have access or a transplant center close by? Yes, I think that's a great question. Uh, first of all, I always encourage, you know, if you have access to multiple transplant centers, you can be listed at more than one. I happen to live in an area where there's not a transplant center 30 minutes away like Lori. So the closest ones are, are two hours away and they're not even in our state. So for some of our patients that may have Medicare and state Medicaid, they have to work within the transplant centers within their state to have that additional support and coverage. And the closest transplant center for in South Carolina, I live on one side of South Carolina, the other clinic, the, the transplant center is on the other side in Charleston, which is about three and a half, four hours away. Wow. And so we know sometimes that transportation can be a barrier. And once again, reach out to your family, reach out to your spiritual community. You'd be amazed at those that are willing to go the extra mile, to go over and beyond to help someone. Good people still do exist, and <laughs> there are people that still want to help. And so when you identify a transplant center that you want to get to, the goal is identify how you're going to get there. Not only just for the, the initial appointments, but the ongoing appointments. And when you get that call, you want to make sure you have a plan in place of how you plan to get there. And as long as you can establish that and communicate that to the transplant center, don't let that be the barrier for you. All you have to do, if you identify a barrier, there's always a bridge. Well, and, you know, um, this is, was one of my pet peeves about CMS or Medicare deciding to track some of the transplant center or dialysis units with transplant center numbers. I'm like, well, how do you deal with the P, the, the dialysis centers that aren't near a transplant center? Because a two to three hour drive, um, if you have a transplant, um, going to the appointment's one thing, but when you have a transplant, you need to be by the center at least a month, uh, uh, you know, so you can go to the 
three twice three times a week twice a week appointments that are needed uh post transplant and it's just it's so expensive i mean I, I we need to figure out some way uh to help more people get transplants because they're not available to them financially they can't overcome this barrier um and i i just feel so sad because i hear it all the time that there's just not the resources to be able to travel that far it it just it breaks my heart you know i wish i could help oh it does it does and you know when you you know you you have the desire you have the heart you're suitable you know, and the one barrier that's difficult, you know, with limited income oftentimes, you know, and you're just not really knowing what resources available or if there are any, it can become very difficult. But I really do encourage people to talk to the transplant center. They have access to additional resources to to know what may be available in the community to provide that additional assistance. And you actually may qualify and not know it. Well, and then also I've I've noticed uh, several people have started GoFundMe campaigns um, to be able to help uh, with transportation and lodging. So I think, you know, you, you have to be creative. And uh, um, I wanted to just touch upon, though, too, also uh, we touched on it, the multi-listing. And do you find a lot of patients want to multi-list? There is a financial cost. And I live in Los Angeles, so we have different regions. I could get, I could multi-list in San Diego, which is two hours north of me. And then San Francisco is a different region, so that's about four or five hours. Uh, excuse me, San Diego is south of me. San Francisco is north of me. Um, I could multi-list there, and then I could also go to Arizona, which is about four or five hours to the east of me. Um, and they're all within driving regions, but it doesn't sound like you have, uh, obviously you don't have that where, where you are, but do you ever come across that where patients want to multi-list? Oh, absolutely. Um, actually where I live, especially if, if you have the insurance that they're willing to accept, um, where I live, I'm two hours, um, from three transplant centers in the Atlanta area. And then, you know, I have, you know, I have North Carolina, about two hours from North Carolina. Then I'm about two hours from another one in Georgia. And then about three hours for the one that's actually in South Carolina. So I've, I've, and when I worked in the clinic, which has been some years ago at this point, but um, when I worked in the clinic, it was not common for, for patients to be on multiple, um, multiple transplant center lists. And what is great is that now they're willing to retroact back. So even if you've been on dialysis for three or four years and, and you're deciding now, you know, hey, I want to get on the transplant, um, I want to start the transplant process, you, um, they go based on when you started dialysis, not when you actually get listed. So you get credit for the years that you've been on dialysis. So don't ever think that it's too late. You know that I've been on dialysis too long. You know, I've missed out on my opportunities. It's never too late to start the process and you get credit for the years that you've been on. I know I've, I've, I've heard that so often. Somebody's been on dialysis like nine years. They've decided they want to transplant. Boom, they're transplanted within like three months. And it's it's pretty exciting. And and also, since we're mentioning that, if you've had prior transplants and you've been told in the past you have a lot of antibodies, there's treatment for antibodies now. And so that's not a barrier anymore. Um, it's uh, Science is just incredible. 
uh, I wanted to um, move on to a little bit about, you know, if you get sick. Um, and when uh, do does the patient notify the transplant center? Does the dialysis facility uh, uh, tell the transplant center? So, um, you know, they're not calling them in for a transplant or doing tests if you're not eligible at the time. Yes, I, I really encourage both. I encourage that the patient notifies or their family notify the transplant center. But we have also put some things in place to ensure that we are notifying the transplant center as well. And not only when, you know, there's a hospitalization, but also if things have gotten better so that we can ensure that if, if you remain on the wait list, but you just were inactive, we want to get you back active at, at the same time. So I think the more we have increased communication with the transplant center, that's to me, that's a part of that wait list management and your interdisciplinary team plays an important role, not only, you know, in the dialysis center, but also at the transplant center as well. It's, I know, it's, um, it's very frustrating because I've, some of my friends are transplant coordinators and are like, I called a patient and, you know, I called two patients and they weren't, they were in the hospital. And um, I think if you have like a little cold or something for a day or two, you don't need to inform them. But if you have an infection or you have something going on, you need to uh, let them know. And um, all they do is just check you off where you're inactive. And then as soon as you're clear, they just check you back on because it's wasting the transplant center's time uh, with that kidney. And the kidney only has so much time that it's uh, available to be transplanted. So you want to make sure that you're not using resources that won't be utilized for you. So let's move a little bit about you know, lab values of showing up for dialysis treatments. Um, what is the policy or how does that work if you're, you know, obviously not taking your meds or showing up for dialysis? Does that relate to uh, how the transplant uh, center might view me or view a person who's uh, looking for Yes, they will. They, yeah, they really look at adherence and, and behavior of, of how committed you are to your health. And um, so they do, because the transplant center medications are so important for that, for that kidney to remain viable, they want to know that you're adherent to your medications as well as to your treatment. And so if, if you have barriers with that, work with your interdisciplinary team, work with your social worker, identify how to cope, you know, the coping strategies or, you know, if there, it may just be something simple as changing your, your treatment schedule, you know, or maybe starting home therapy so you can have more flexibility, you know, don't just accept, you know, well, it looks like I'm not adherent, but I know my reasons why I'm adherent. Don't let that be the reason that keeps you from getting a transplant because they will look at that, but that's something that can be overcome. It just requires a group effort. So don't feel like you have to overcome it alone. Well, and, you know, I've heard stories which where a, a person didn't really adhere to their treatment. And, um, and, and, you know, I can kind of understand that when you're first diagnosed, you're so overwhelmed, you can't even get your, you can't even wrap your arms around it. But after they got settled within about six months, they were able to get a routine and get, and so it, my question is, is if you were non-compliant at one point, but then you become compliant, does the transplant center change your mind? Absolutely. 
and your team, your your social your your facility team is there to have that documentation. You know, so you want to know what's being documented about you <laughs> because you want to make sure that that documentation is a reflection of the improvement. Like we've had patients who may have had you know, histories of substance abuse and, you know, of drug use and drug addiction. But that didn't keep them from getting a transplant. They turned their life around. They became adherent, you know. Um, they got the help that they needed to be able to deal with their addictions. And now, you know, they've gotten transplants. So just, you know, your past is not going to follow you. It's just what you do with the past. If you make changes mm-hmm. in the past, it's going to impact your future. So there's always an opportunity for them to review everything and have reconsideration for you as well. And, you know, that's so wonderful to know because um, I, I do hear it consistently and people think like, oh, I just, I, you know, I just need to give up. And that's not the reality. I mean, we all have moments where we just don't do so well and we we pull it together and uh, um, it's so great that you have that additional help. And, and you know, one of the things that's wonderful is the dialysis unit does have a social worker and uh, people need to take advantage of that to really discuss some of these issues and how to overcome some of the Doing dialysis is not for the faint of heart. I mean, I'll say that. So absolutely not. And and I think everybody everybody gets that it's not easy and and it's it's um it's challenging. Um, well, this has been some great information, Felicia. Um, it's so wonderful. Uh, any um little bit of advice or you know anything that we didn't uh, talk about that you would like to share with the audience? Uh, one thing that I know that varies from transplant center to transplant center is your BMI, your um, body mass index. And so if one transplant center, you know, says, hey, it's too high, you know, don't count yourself out. If there's another opportunity at another transplant center, you know, look at that and work with your dietitian, work with your team. You know, we're all, all of us are trying to get healthy in some way and, you know, may have to come up with some regimen. So it may take you a little while to actually get through the evaluation process, but it doesn't mean that it's completely impossible. So, you know, just remember it takes a team. You have surround a surround team there to help you along the way. We know it's a path and we're there every step of the way. Well, and I think that's great information, Felicia, because transplant centers are a medical practice. And, you know, transplant centers practice differently. Uh, uh, An example I always like to give is, you know, some centers practice a non-steroidal protocol after transplant. And I know other centers that, like, uh, uh, we don't do that. (laughs) And so you have to really figure out um, and, and get to know that each individual center is different and um, you have choices. So uh, great information. Um, thank you, Felicia. You've been a social worker for 20 years. I mean, your dedication to the kidney community. Um, thank you so much. Oh, you are most welcome. Thank you for this time. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.